Welcome to Backlog Books, the podcast where I spend 10 to 15 minutes talking about what I have been reading lately. My name is Kara. My pronouns are she, her. There are going to be some spoilers for the books ahead. I don't know what to tell you. That's just how this is going to work. So whether you are a 200 books a year reader or a one book a year reader, welcome. I hope that you enjoy the episode. Let's get started right away. Uh, Today, we are talking about a book that you may be familiar with. It's The Princess Bride by William Goldman. First, let me regale you with a summary from the back of my copy. What happens when the most beautiful girl in the world marries the handsomest prince in the world, and he turns out to be a son of a bitch? Uh, A more helpful summary is found in the first few pages of the book. As a boy, William Goldman claims he loved to hear his father read the S. Morgenstern classic, The Princess Bride. But as a grown-up, he discovered that the boring parts were left out of good old dad's recitation, and only the good parts reached his ears. Now, Goldman does dad one better. He's reconstructed the good parts version to delight wise kids and wide-eyed grown-ups everywhere. What's it about? Fencing? Fighting? True love, strong hate, harsh revenge, a few giants, lots of bad men, lots of good men, five or six beautiful women, beasties, monstrous and gentle, some swell escapes and captures, death, lies, truth, miracles, and a little sex. In short, it's about everything. The Princess Bride was published in 1973. My copy is 284 pages, and I read it between May 12th and 15th in 2020. Our author, William Goldman, was born in 1931 and was a writer of screenplays and books. He died in 2018. Something we should cover before we dive in is that Goldman employs a framing story in this book. If you're not familiar with framing stories as a literary device, they're exactly what they sound like a story outside the main plot which helps to inform the main plot. It's more common to see a framing story in plays or collections of short stories, but it does show up in novels from time to time. I believe The Kingkiller Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss use a framing story, for example. Okay, so I'm just going to talk about the book here as much as I can. There's an excellent movie adaptation which I will talk about later. So... You know how when you're writing a paper or arguing a point and you think you know what your argument is, but when you get to the end, you've completely changed your mind? I wrote a whole thing and then realized I had convinced myself of a different point of view. Now, Goldman is a character in this as much as Wesley or Buttercup. So I want you to know that I have some mean things to say about Goldman as a character, But I do not mean the actual author, because I have no idea what he was really like. Goldman the narrator has grown up only having heard the romantic version of The Princess Bride. This works well as our framing story, but I have to admit that I don't, I don't like the narrator. I just don't. Uh, All he knows is the adventure, the action, the true love, and it's become a huge part of his worldview. This is the book that taught him to love reading and writing. He looks at his life and compares it over and over to this sweeping tale from his childhood, and he's kind of disappointed. And honestly, under those circumstances, I think any life would fall flat. 
So in our introductory framing story, Goldman the narrator comes to a crossroads. Instead of taking an opportunity to cheat on his wife, he chooses to chase after the perfect book. Wow, what a stellar guy. It's supposed to be funny, I guess. I don't like it. He reaches home, having successfully found the book, and expects something, some change in his life to have occurred. And then he finds out that the book he has loved his whole life never really existed. In some ways, Goldman is just like every book reader who has ever watched a film adaptation of their favorite book and been absolutely horrified. The story, as he remembers it, is sacred. And honestly, we've all been there. Our favorite author turns out to be a bigot. Our favorite story turns out to be full of harmful stereotypes. The remake of our favorite series somehow manages to look like no one on the creative team ever actually read the original. (sighs) Now, faced with the irrefutable evidence that his favorite book never existed, our narrator pulls a move I'm actually kind of proud of. He decides to bring that book to life. So that's our framing story, Goldman's commentary as he adapts the classic tale. To talk about the, uh, the actual story, <laughs> this is a satire of a fairy tale, and the quote-unquote original text is a satire of a fictional historical court. It's satireception. Our main characters in The Princess Bride are Wesley and Buttercup. Buttercup is beautiful. She's not very bright. But who cares? She's the most beautiful woman in the world, and Wesley is in love with her. This is a fairy tale. I mean, it's a satire, but it's still a fairy tale. It says it right on the cover. These two are in love, and their love is true love, capital letters and all. But of course, they can't just get married. That would be ridiculous. What needs to be done is earn a fortune, and of course, Wesley has to be the one to do that. So Wesley goes to America to seek his fortune, and on the way, his ship is captured by the dread pirate Roberts, who never takes prisoners. Buttercup is left alone and swears never to love again. Enter Humperdinck, the prince. He's barrel-shaped. He likes to hunt. His father, the king, is dying. Therefore, Humperdinck must marry and produce a male heir. He finds the most beautiful woman in the land, that's our buttercup, and she agrees to marry him because it's better than being killed for refusing. Three years pass. These are cut out of the story, but these are buttercup's years. She's made a princess, and she spends those three years learning how to be a princess and eventually a queen. Court manners, however, are of no interest to Goldman. They have no place in an adventure story. And honestly, including them would make this a very different story. Before she can get married, Buttercup is kidnapped by a strange group of men. A small Sicilian man named Vicini, a Spaniard named Inigo, and a Turkish giant named Fezzik. Vicini is the brains. He's been hired to kidnap Buttercup and murder her, making sure all the evidence points to a neighboring country. I'm sure there's some political reason for that. But the important thing here is that the beautiful princess has been captured and must be rescued. The kidnapping is rather spectacularly derailed by a mysterious man dressed in black. This man defeats the Spaniard Inigo at fencing, even though Inigo is a fencing wizard. Which, side note, 
is an excellent title and means he's basically unbeatable with a sword. The man in black goes on to defeat the giant Fezzik in a physical fight, even though the giant is unrivaled in strength and is a giant. At last, he reaches Vicini and they face down. The final duel is a duel of wits. The man in black wins. Rather than rescuing the princess, this guy now seems to have taken over the kidnapping. He's got a lot of opinions about her behavior and love life for a complete stranger. Oh, oh wait, it's Wesley. You remember Wesley? He loves Buttercup and died tragically at sea. He's kind of mad at her for agreeing to marry someone else, expecting her to have believed that true love would triumph over death. Buttercup, bless her heart, seems to be the realist in this book. After all, why on earth would she expect Wesley to have survived the Dread Pirate Roberts? In some ways, Buttercup has to be convinced that this is the story she's in. She keeps being thrown between tropes, one being marry a prince and become the most powerful and richest woman in the country, and the other being marry your true love. Where were we? Uh, the lovers are reunited at last. This does not last long, however. Enter Humperdinck. Again. Now, we get probably my favorite Buttercup moment. Stuck between Wesley, who is declaring that they would rather die than be separated, and the prince demanding their surrender, she chooses to live. She bargains for Wesley's safety, and when he accuses her of choosing to live over true love capital letters, she says, I admit it, I would rather live than die. I can live without love. Who put this realist in this absurd fairy tale? Now, a traditional fairy tale would have said that choosing the prince is the right choice. He's rich, he's barrel-shaped, he's a prince of his word. What more could a lady want? Here, where Buttercup chooses the prince, we're all devastated. How could she let true love capital letters go? We're nearing the end. Wesley is taken away. Rather than letting Wesley go, Humperdinck gives him to Count Rugen, who is Humperdinck's closest advisor and has made an extensive study of pain and plans to torture Wesley. Here's the thing about Wesley, though. He doesn't need to sleep. He can defeat a fencing wizard, a giant at strength, and outwit a man like Vicini. When he's tortured, he can withstand months of agony by simply sending his mind away. He's waiting patiently for the chance to escape, but it seems pretty unlikely where he is. Buttercup is busy having horrible nightmares and regretting being written into this narrative, so let's turn our attention to Inigo and Fezzik, the Spanish fencing wizard and the Turkish giant, both of whom Wesley defeated. In any other story, their defeat might have been the end for them. Here, they get a chance to complete a narrative arc. Well, okay, Inigo does. He has been on a revenge quest this whole time, searching for a man with six fingers on his right hand who killed Inigo's father. Wouldn't you know it, Count Rugen, currently torturing Wesley, has six fingers on his right hand. But even though revenge is one castle wall away, Inigo and Fezzik are not planners. They're men of action and impulse. They trusted Vicini to plan for them, but Vicini is gone. Now, if only there was someone out there who could match Vicini for wits, someone who liked to dress in black and would have a reason to interrupt the prince's wedding and cause some chaos. Hmm. Huh. 
There are lots of good setups and payoffs in this book. Humperdinck's Zoo of Death, Count Rugen's Study of Pain, Inigo's Revenge Quest, The Miracle Men, The Plot to Murder Buttercup, The Four White Horses. Throughout all of this, Goldman cuts in to tell us he's edited out endless pages of Florinese history and courtly events. He keeps telling us that this story is about Buttercup, and then he goes and cuts out most of what she deals with. Somewhere out there is a version of The Princess Bride where you follow Buttercup's journey from farm girl to queen, and she chooses to stay at court because it's intriguing and she feels beholden to the people. That is not this story. Anyway, an epic rescue is staged to get Wesley and then Buttercup, and everyone helps out, even Buttercup right at the end. Goldman makes it clear that the quote-unquote original book ends with a downer. They get away, but barely. They're being chased. Wounds are reopening. Wesley is still mostly dead. You get the idea. Life isn't fair, and neither is this book. The romantic adventure version Goldman's dad told him ends with a simple, and they lived happily ever after. Goldman's abridged version takes a nice middle route. In Goldman's mind, at the very least, they get away. Humperdinck still lives and will probably chase them forever. Someday, horror of horrors, Buttercup will lose her looks. But Wesley and Buttercup are together in the end, and maybe that will be enough. My final word on The Princess Bride is that it's worth a read, especially if you're already a fan of the movie. There are lots of funny moments, and I personally love Inigo. If you want more media like this, you really should watch the movie. It's absurd and fantastic. It steps away from the jadedness of Goldman's narration in the book and embraces the wonder of discovering a new favorite in childhood. If you're not sure, you should watch it just for Mandy Patinkin as Inigo and Andre the Giant as Fezzik. If you really love The Princess Bride and want to know more about it, check out As You Wish by Carrie Elwes. It's a delightful behind-the-scenes book about the making of the movie. If you're after a couple of really good fairy tale books, Naomi Novik has written a couple um, that were really good, Uprooted and Spinning Silver. Her female characters have the main stage and are excellent. And that's it. You can find me and all the pictures I take of books on Instagram at a garden and a library, all one word. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Thank you for spending this time with me, and I hope to talk with you again soon.